Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. I know some of you have been listening for a very long time and others, this might be your first listen. So if you're new, welcome. And we get to do something very special on this show. Well, we always get to hear real stories from real women about real hope. And at Calvary Mac, where we launch this podcast, there is a Christian writing group uh, led by Sandra, and she has the opportunity to invite guest authors to come and just share their knowledge and encourage those budding authors within the community. And whenever she does that, I get to connect with those guest authors, which is so amazing and, and so fun because they're always willing to come on the podcast and share their story. And then we get to hear also what they're doing in the writing world. So Camille, thank you so much for being here tonight. And I am so excited for you to share your story and we'll get to your, your full story soon. But for all of those Hallmark fans out there, you're going to love this first part because we do we have a Hallmark connection to tell you about. With that, Camille, would you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are and what your life is like today? And then we're going to figure out how you're connected to Hallmark. Right. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. And uh, my name is Camille Eide. I am an author of Christian fiction. I write both contemporary and historical, and I blog and uh, I'm also a church office manager. I've been working at my church for almost 27 years, I'm a teacher, preschool administrator. I'm married to my husband of almost 40 years. We have three adult kids and seven amazing, brilliant grandchildren. And um, I actually just really love story. So I'm really excited about um, what you're doing with this. So oh, thank you so much. And you know, when we finish recording, we might have to have a whole separate conversation about teaching preschool <laughs> and directing preschools because that's another yeah. <laughs> another yeah. fun common common ground. All right. So Hallmark fans, I think many of you have heard of the show, if not have been watching it or binging it, called When Calls <laughs> the Heart. I am going to let Camille take it from here because I cannot wait to hear the details. I just know the general connection. I, I do not know the details of this story. So this is new for me as well, but will you tell us what your connection is with this show and even your, you know, your little one second uh, Oscar winning moment? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So a little backtrack um, because I'm a writer, I was asked to like preview a movie for a friend of mine who was a publicist on the Hallmark channel, which i um, sorry, but I wasn't actually watching it at the time. So, you know, I plugged into Hallmark, I was watching it around Christmas time this one year, and I kept seeing these commercials for this new original series that Hallmark was putting out called One Calls the Heart. You know, I elbowed my husband, hey, this looks pretty good. So we started watching it and uh, we both fell in love with it and it was great. And so it was pretty new. And so what I was doing at the time was I was using my newly found social media skills, you know, as an author, they teach us, you need to be on Twitter. You need to be, you know, promoting and I hate promoting myself, but here was this little show and I really liked it. So I was basically putting my little Twitter skills to work 
for the show because it was great. It was really wholesome and it was really faith friendly, which was really refreshing. And anyway, so I was on Twitter and I noticed that myself and a couple other ladies were really having these kind of in-depth conversations while we were watching it or after the episode. And I started like connecting with a few people and we were having fun interacting with some of the cast and also Brian Bird, who is one of the co-creators and executive producers. And I thought, well, that's really cool. This guy's actually talking to fans and this was fun. We got to talking so much about this one episode and this is kind of like goes down in history, but we said, okay, we're, we're going to drive Twitter insane. We need to go start a group on Facebook where we have more than, you know, 140 characters at our disposal here. So we, I jumped over on Facebook, grabbed this group, um, added these other ladies that I'd been talking to. And pretty soon we started adding these other people that we'd been talking to. And we added Brian Bird. Long story short, that group went from five of us ladies to like 500 within the first week and then um, a thousand by the end of that week. And then it just grew in leaps and bounds from there. And so that was fun. But the funny thing was we were like five total strangers on this Facebook group, but it turned out that we all had like these different, basically like marketing skills or, you know, just different kind of professions and design and things that it, it just, it was really odd. People call it a God wink. We just, we all happened to have these you know abilities that helped us get together and say, Hey, we can actually promote this show. We can get more people watching it. And what was happening was this was the first season of this new show that we really liked and we wanted more of. And Hallmark wasn't, you know, sure if they were going to renew it or not. And when we talked to Brian Verde said, you know, the only thing we can do is just to really make a lot of noise and really make sure Hallmark knows that we want more of this. And so we went to work promoting and teaching other people how to promote it. And it basically sells itself once people would watch it. And then uh, eventually Hallmark had heard all of our collective voices and decided to give us season two. And so that began a really long <laughs> journey of what Brian calls a grassroots tidal wave of, you know, this fan love. And basically here we are nine seasons later and he really attributes the longevity and the survival of the show to the fans. So, so you mentioned the, the clip that I was in and that's actually because when Hallmark renewed for that first time. The the network and the producers invited me and my friends as guests to come up to the set uh, when they were filming season two, and uh, we were going to have walk on extra roles. So we got to do that, and that was a blast. It was we're just hugely grateful that they even did that. I mean, we were just promoting the show because we loved it. We weren't, you know, expecting anything for it, but they they really wanted to show their appreciation to us for all of our hard works. So we were there, and it's kind of funny because after a few scenes they'd been shooting in town, the director got word from somebody that we weren't just like your regular extras. We were these super fan, crazy, hearty people. And so they started putting us a little bit closer in some of the scenes. So that's, if you, <laughs> if you see the end of season two, a couple of ladies in the corner of the mercantile while um, Abigail is kind of having a, an argument with this other lady and uh, the two little ladies in the corner, I'm one of them. So my half of a second film debut, I got to be in that. So and you um, nailed it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, thank you. It was fun. It was a lot of fun um, watching the actresses work. And, and we felt like they were actually kind of working off of our, our little, you know, acting that we were doing in the corner. Yeah, so it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I kind of wondered, I was like, what, you know, what is your title with relation with the relation to this show? And I, I feel like they should give you a title. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, since that beginning time that the group really grew and the, um, some very capable other ladies have stepped up and they're doing uh, a fabulous job being the admins of this, basically this official fan group. And so they call themselves the Hardies. That's so, awesome. Yeah, we feel like a part of it really. Well, yeah, definitely. You you helped keep it alive. And to your point, I think we'll end up cert- making a complete full circle uh, by the end of the episode, sort of getting back to the the point of this, the purpose of just clean, wholesome yeah. entertainment. And mm-hmm. I grew up watching Avonlea. And this reminds me of that yeah. so uh, yeah. much. Or just like, oh, it's just makes you feel good. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's full of a lot of the virtues and, mm-hmm. you know, the family values and the faith values that a lot of us have. And I felt like this is really affirming to me what, what I value. And there's not a lot out there that does that. So yeah, yeah very heart attached to, to this. Well, I appreciate you and all the hearties out there. Thank you. And we are going to kind of now go back and get more of your story and how all of the chapters in your life led you to where you are today, your relationship with God, your career in as a writer, and all of all of those life experiences and lessons that lead one to a certain spot in her life and to appreciate mm-hmm. certain things and, and all of that. So Camille, will you tell us your story and start back at the beginning? Okay. Well, I was born in the 60s. I grew up in Oregon, moved around quite a lot. We spent most of our time between the coast and the, the Willamette Valley. We we did move a lot. So childhood, it wasn't bad. There were good times. From my perspective, it seemed fairly normal. You know, in, in my generation, kids just did what kids did. And so it didn't seem too unusual. And I always knew my mom loved me. I, I never had any doubt about that. But, you know, looking back and later on realizing what really was what I, uh, there was a significant amount of trauma in my childhood looking back. You know, it's funny, I hate to even say it now because um, people that were responsible for it, I've, I've long forgiven now, but, you know, you do have to say that, you know, where there was trauma and there was pain, there was a lot of, a lot of brokenness and a lot of dysfunction that later God had to work through. So when I was five, uh, or actually when I was four, my mom left my dad. Uh, not long after that, he left the country. And so to me, to a five-year-old kid, that felt like an absolute desertion and uh, felt very rejected by that. And then moving on from there, there was some sexual abuse in my childhood. There were also a couple of stepdads in my life who were bullies. And that the fact that, you know, my dad didn't seem to have any use for me. And then these other dads came along were, were really harsh and, you know, pretty demeaning and things that had a really deep impact on my perception about life and about myself. It set up a pattern for a lot of insecurity and a lot of negative self-talk. And so, you know, all these things together played a pretty key part in destroying my self-worth. I was really insecure. 
looking back, growing up was actually really difficult. You know, like I said, at the time, it just seemed all, you know, yeah, kids just go through stuff. Life is hard. That's it. But, you know, I look back and I'm a parent and I'm a grandparent. Now I realize that's not, that's not what childhood is supposed to look like. Social life in school was really hard and painful for the most part. And I just remember feeling a lot of shame because of a lot of things, you know, the, the sexual abuse will, will make some kids feel just humiliated. Like there's something wrong with you. There was just a lot of feeling of ugliness, a lot of feeling rejected. And I was really sensitive, although I don't think I realized that at the time. So being sensitive though, the hardest thing for me out of all of those things was having father figures who were really harsh who seemed to be only really angry or unpleasable. And so there was one particular stepdad in my life from the time I was 10 until I was about 16. And um, the pain and the discouragement that I had been feeling, you know, up until that point had actually really at that point begun to get really worse. So I was, you know, sensitive and and really looking back, I, I was, you know, desperately in need of you know, some love and encouragement and a father's approval. And this stepdad was pretty much the opposite of that. He, he was a bully. He was demeaning. He had an alcohol problem. You know, for example, it would tower over me. I remember one time he drunk, just um, swaying and lecturing me with his finger in my face and just berating me until I cried. And I could tell that he actually enjoyed that. And what I remember was just, you know, he was very harsh and critical and and unkind. And so that wobbly self-worth that I already had was pretty much being, you know, crushed at that point. We were not a church family, but there was a a short period of time that the stepdad and my mom um, knew someone from work that also pastored a church on the side. And for whatever reason, the stepdad of mine decided to take us to this church. And, you know, looking back, I can think of a lot of reasons why he was trying to do a good thing. But at the time I, you know, I had no idea, but the funny thing is, is, you know, this was why my one kind of exposure to Christians and God. And I, I don't remember being very interested in praying or anything. I think I was more interested in um, the cute pastor's son in the choir. Cause by this time, I think <laughs> it was like seventh grade and, you know, I had a crush on the pastor's son, but um. <laughs> I don't really remember getting any kind of like, you know, spiritual epiphany or anything at that point. I just remember thinking kind of in general, these people are really kind. These people are nice to us. And I was actually petrified because my stepdad was putting on this total hypocritical, like he, he was, I thought he was convincing them that he was like this great Christian, which was completely different from the person he was at home. And I was I wanted them to like us. So I was terrified that they were going to find out what he really was and what he had at home and what he was really like and the kinds of things he said and talked about and said to me and that kind of stuff. So I, you know, that lasted for a short time. And then, you know, again, looking back, I realized that there were seeds that the Lord planted for me then that I could find later when I needed them. But so time that we were with him got actually worse. His alcoholism got worse. By the time I was a teenager, I was very angry and very resentful and, you know, very resistant and started hanging out with the drug crowd at school. By the time I was almost 16, things had gotten really bad with him. And so my mom finally 
got the nerve to um, pack us. Uh, we packed ourselves up and we left and um, we're out on our own again. So by this time, I had actually left my high school in my sophomore year because things were getting kind of ugly there. Um, the people that I was involved with uh, wasn't safe. And so I left my school and I went to the community college and I got my diploma early and actually earned a free year of college, which was great. Yeah. You know, here I was 16, I was already graduating high school and I was ready to, you know, have, have this opportunity to, you know, do something with my life with this year free college. But I had found the drug crowd at school and, you know, this is at the college level now. So it's a little bit more serious. And I was, you know, at school getting high every day mm-hmm. and started realizing I'm, you know, sabotaging this shot that I have of school. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm only 16, but in some ways really worldly wise by this point and feeling like my life is headed either to jail or dead if I don't, mm-hmm. you know, break free from this life that I'm in, but I, I really felt trapped. I didn't feel like I could get out of it because these were the people who accepted me. I wasn't really hooked on the pot as much as I was on the acceptance and the little bit of security that I had by identifying, you know, somebody identified with me finally for a change and I could, you know, feel like part of something. But, but I also saw that I'm not without too much detail. I was getting into trouble with some people and it kind of scared me. And I thought, I, how am I going to get out of this? I can't, I can't stop. I can't get away from these people. Mm-hmm. And so this one night I was about 16 at this time. I, I remember thinking I, I need to do something and I can't. And I'd heard enough about God. I actually had a Bible. I had started reading it, um, reading David talking about God as though he was somebody he really knew. And he talked about God, like he was someone who helped him. And I thought either this guy is nuts or he really does know God. Like he's really real. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to put you to the test. You know, if you're real, you prove it to me. And so I said, you know, I've been addicted to cigarettes for six years, you know, since I was 11. Don't tell anyone, don't tell my mom that. (laughs) I had never been able to quit. And so I said, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put you to the test. You take away my, my cigarette cravings. And then I'll, I'll believe you. I'll do whatever, whatever you say. And I had forgot all about it. I went to bed next morning. I got up, I was getting ready to go to work, flipping burgers. And it finally hit me that I hadn't reached for a cigarette. And then I remembered this, you know, prayer, if that's what you could call it from the night before. And I just about fell to my knees when I realized, you know, wait a minute, that can't possibly be God. And I tried to actually light up and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. That floored me. I realized, okay, he is real. Not only is he real, he heard me. Not only did he hear me, he answered me the way I asked him to. He must care. (laughs) So... (laughs) I, whatever that means, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I said, okay, I, I, I'm giving you my life. Um, you're the only hope I have of, you know, changing this mess that I'm in. So, um, you know, I'm giving you my life. And that's where the story is supposed to start looking up, mm-hmm. but there are a lot more chapters. <laughs> and that's where sometimes reality breaks from 
the Hallmark Christmas movie story, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, we love, we love for those of us who are in the Hallmark fan club, we love the Hallmark Christmas movies and the Hallmark movies because you know it's going to end well. <laughs> but in real life, it doesn't tie up in that Hallmark bow. No, it's not that tidy. And mm-hmm. I wish it was. And I think so, that's a, what people expect a lot. You know, right. they, they sort of think, all right, if I was going one direction and now I've met God and I'm going to turn around and go the other direction, then surely this path is going to be clean and easy and yes. better and happily ever after. And that's never that that's never been promised. Right. And I know some people have different levels and varying amounts of conflicts and struggles and, and hangups and baggage and stuff to get over. And, you know, thinking about this, this part of my life and this part of my story, I realize hope people can take hope from the fact that while some people kind of stumble along, but get it right pretty soon, other people like me take quite a while to really get a hold of what it is God wants to do and actually, you know, get you growing up and growing forward kind of a thing. And I I would like people to take hope from this and not, oh no, you know, how long is, you know, how's it going to, long is it going to take for me if it took her so long? But if I can, I'll tell you some more because the one thing I've really learned looking back is that God is so incredibly patient. And uh, I didn't know that at first. So when I first you know, that moment where I gave God my life and asked Jesus to, you know, take the wheel. Basically Um, I had come from being um, this kid who, you know, the one thing I learned from, from the stepdad that I thought was so mean was that, you know, I could do hard work, you know, if, if left to do it or if forced to, I figured out that, you know, my superpower was this ability to power through and, and do things. And so I kind of had picked up on somehow subconsciously that this new life of mine was something I needed to do. I needed to fix myself. I needed to pull up my bootstraps and get my act together. And so I, you know, because of shame and dysfunction and things, I didn't realize that, you know, I had a lot of inner work to do that. That just, I forgot about that. I just realized, you know, here I'm at church, here are these really nice, tidy, clean, proper Christian people. And that's what I need to be. I need to start looking like these people. And this was, you know, completely misguided. And, and this is why I'm, you know, a total advocate for mentoring and discipling new believers so that they don't get off on the wrong track like I did. But ladies, pause right there. I hope you wrote that down. <laughs> it is so incredible and so important and so valuable to be connected in a mentoring relationship. So if you are mature in your walk with the Lord, be a mentor. And if you are new, and this is all still kind of confusing, or you're just kind of entering into this faith with questions or uh, uncertainty, find a mentor. And so Mm -hmm. many, uh, so many church bodies have that structure already set up for you where you don't have to just, you know, Mm -hmm. put a Facebook post out there looking for a mentor. Um, (laughs) So after this episode, ladies, if you haven't heard it yet, please go back to episode 56 so that you can hear um, all about specifically about mentoring. We have a special shorter episode about the mentoring program that we have at Calvary Mac, but there's ways that you can get plugged in no matter where you live. So did you end up finding a mentor, Camille? 
No, I'm sorry to say I had no idea what I was doing. We um, started going to a, a pretty large church and in, in my thinking, my new responsibility was to blend in as, as soon as possible. I was ashamed, you know, of who I was, you know, how I dressed. I looked like a stoner girl. So I went out and bought all new clothes, tried really hard to fit in a, a big part of what the whole was in, in my heart was needing acceptance. You know, I had never felt accepted. I had, you know, only felt rejected and, and hurt and wounded and stuff. So I was just trying really hard to be accepted by these nice new people. And I was reading the Bible, but looking back, I think I was having a hard time understanding what it really meant. And without really knowing that I was misunderstanding it too. So that's another, another problem. You know, you can not realize that you're kind of getting off on the wrong foot and hearing the old Testament and thinking it was all at me or whatever, you know, things like that. But so I think I was really putting a lot more effort into the way I appeared and the way I was acting. And I had no clue about, you know, the spirit of God actually living in me and and wanting to do the things that were going to bring real change in me, you know, from the inside out, you know, I did, I had no idea how that worked. So, you know, here I am, you know, 16, 17, trying really hard to be this adult Christian person. And so this is what I call the beginning of my double life. And so at 20, I married my boyfriend who I'd met working at Wendy's and he was a Bible college student. And so we'd been engaged for a few years while he finished school And after he graduated, uh, we got married and we started right away working with the youth group because that's, that's what you do. You know, that's the next thing you do when you're training for ministry. And so me being very task focused, I jumped right in with both feet. The problem is that tough me thinking I'm going to motor through life had no clue that I really needed was some counseling and someone to help me address all of the emotional damage and all of the dysfunction from my past, because it was such a mess. Really, there was my own faults and there was the the wounds that were inflicted by other people. And it was all pretty much a tangle. It was really hard for me to separate those and address things. And so basically I just stuffed it all away and I did my best to hide it in shame that was a bad, a really bad move. I I didn't know, you know, I wasn't trying to fool people by putting on this, this persona. I really thought it was what I needed to do. And I worked really hard and I was reading the Bible. I was trying so hard to do the things that said I was really wanting to grow as a Christian, but really all I was doing was becoming more and more disconnected. I was feeling inwardly more and more different from the person that I was putting on, on the outside. And I, I don't think I was trying to be a hypocrite. I was really ashamed of the person I had been. And and I feel like the, the farther I got away from her, the more I wanted to just, you know, pretend like she never existed. And I kind of feel like my inner child, I basically locked her away and, and, you know, threw away the key. So about 10 years later, that gulf between my, you know, inner life and this outer persona had gotten to such a wide disparity that I, I felt like I was living a lie and I felt like a fraud. I don't know. I think I started resenting God. Like, you know, how could you expect me to keep this up? And Mm -hmm. I was 
really discontent. And that led to me making some kind of devastating choices, which is another story for another time. But I, I nearly destroyed my family and my faith. And um, in a moment, Jesus met me again, like he had when I was 16. And I really experienced another miracle. This was kind of like in the Bible, it talks about the scales falling off of the apostle Paul's eyes. I I felt like that happened. The things that I had begun believing and um, some of the hurt and the anger and the, the different things I'd been believing suddenly realized what was really true and that I had been being blinded and that I had been living this double life and it really wasn't God's fault and it wasn't what he wanted for me. And so basically kind of started over from, you know, square one, asking the Lord really humbly to just lead me and show me what he wanted me to do. So I did that. I set out really trying to follow him in, in a, in a more authentic way. It was kind of a, a really a once and for all decision I made. And it's not like we never stumble around, but this time I really was, you know, hanging on to him and, and really looking for, you know, the path he wanted me on that was going to have to be a lot more authentic. And so again, it didn't just mean instant change because all of that hurt and all of that dysfunction and all of the things that I had experienced as a kid, that was still really part of my self-talk and my perception. So I still, I really wanted to do, I wanted to live for the Lord. I really wanted to grow. I really wanted to see maturity in my life. I wanted to see, you know, moving away from, you know, habitual sins and stuff. And sometimes I would just keep circling back to the same stuff again and again. And I started feeling like, Oh God, he's not going to keep forgiving me. I mean, he's got to get tired of this. How can he put up with me, especially when I ask him for help. And then I just throw it away and sin again. You know, how is he going to keep wanting to have anything to do with me? I don't really know. I mean, I know he, he was there. I would, you know, feel him nudging me and calling me back again and again. And, you know, later I look back and realize he was so patient with me. And I also realized later that he wasn't the one who was getting tired of my failure. That was me. It's pretty amazing that there's no maximum on how many times you can start over with him no. and how many times you can re-surrender and then re-surrender and then re-surrender. Yeah. And it can, it can feel very discouraging and exhausting when you feel yeah. like you've just been on the same loop over and over and over. Like, will this ever get better? Right. And I had these expectations for myself that I finally later realized those were not God's expectations, you know, and I kept hearing this voice in my head saying, you know, you failure, you know, you're just not, you're just not like everybody else. You can't get your act together. And it took me a long time to realize that that was not God's voice. That was the echo of, you know, previous bullies in my life. But what I really, you know, if I have to be really honest, I was the bully that was beating myself up for not being, you know, farther than I am by now. And every once in a while, the Lord would stop me and turn me around and make me look back and say, you know, you think you're not over here where all of the, you know, these famous women in ministry, you know, you keep holding yourself up and comparing yourself to these famous people, but look back and see how far I've brought you. 
you're not the person that you used to be. Stop putting this expectation on yourself. You know, I'm not the one putting that there. So I love what you just said. Not that I love that you were your own bully, but I think that (laughs) is such an eye-opening way to look at it because Mm -hmm. there are so many women that do. They just mentally and verbally beat themselves up largely because somebody else did it first. Mm -hmm. Right. But we will say things to ourselves that, I mean, we we would never say to somebody else because that'd be so mean. It'd be so cruel. Why do we, why do we think that's okay to say to ourselves? And yeah, we can't, we can absolutely bully ourselves, but I've just never heard it put that way. And for anybody who has been the victim of bullying, Mm-hmm. You know exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. Don't be your own bully. It's hard to recognize that that's a, a narrative that we heard and just picked up, you know, kind of subconsciously. It's funny because a few years, well, several years later, I think my kids were probably teenagers by this point. I, I felt like the Lord was showing me that I had never really forgiven that one, especially bully stepdad. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I, I forgive people. I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. And the Lord said, well, you know, every time his name comes up, you, you spew out sarcasm. So it doesn't really look like you've forgiven him. And uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, how do I do this? And, and he very clearly was um, nudging me to pray for him, which was hilarious because I said, oh yeah, I'll pray for a semi to park on his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I, I knew he wanted me to, to pray real prayers. And so, you know, I, I started doing that if nothing else, if for no other reason than just to, you know, say, see, it didn't work, but I did, I began praying for him. And, you know, at first they were just like, God bless him, gritted teeth. And then pretty soon it's like, well, bless him and help him with his alcoholism. And you know, I hope he's not hurting anyone else now. And, and those prayers, gradually changed to, God, I really hope he's right with you. You know, I, I really pray that he you know, has an eternity with you and that you heal him. And I realized after a time that, you know, my prayers had changed and I had no idea if my prayers did anything for him, but I had changed. And I got to a point where I really felt nothing but compassion for this man. And that's why it's actually hard. I tell people sometimes it's kind of hard to go back and really describe how painful life was when he was in my life because I've let go of it and it feels kind of yucky to, to even talk about it, but, but God can do that. And, you know, he is the God of irony. You know, he's talking, you know, you know, about blessing your enemies and his way of doing things is often really different from the way we would do them. But it, it, it took, it took me a long time. I, I'm sorry to say that. I hope that that's not discouraging to people, but there was a point and probably just because I'm so, so stubborn or something. I got to a point where the Lord really impressed on me that all of this striving to find his acceptance was not him. And there'd be days I would say, I'm so sorry I messed up. And I finally realized I'm not doing anything to my right standing with God. I'm not changing my righteousness by failing one day or doing really good one day. I'm not adding to or taking away from the righteousness that he has given me because of Jesus. I don't know, it just kind of finally hit me. You know, there's nothing I can do to lose his love. There's nothing I can do to earn it. He just loves me, period. And I don't have to try to please him or appease him. And it's like, God, I'm so sorry that I, I saw you as one of those mean stepdads. And that's not who you are. 
For anyone who has been struggling to forgive something, maybe to forgive the unforgivable, you can do an action. You can pray for somebody that you cannot stand or that's unforgivable or that did something detestable and you might not like it and you might only get one word out and you may grit your teeth, Mm -hmm. but with time, emotion does follow action. Mm -hmm. And if you are, if there's sort of steps, very tangible steps that you can do little, little actions to Mm -hmm. do, and it, and it might not happen overnight. It might not happen in a few months, might not happen in a year. And I don't think your story is discouraging. I think it's real. I hope so. If something takes a long time, there's still hope at the end of that long road. Yeah. The the thing that really stands out to me is God's patience. I was ready to give up on myself so many times. And he kept showing me by sometimes I, you know, feeling his presence when I'm praying or by answering a prayer or um, just that right thing at that right time, and you know it's him. There were just so many times that he has shown himself to me over and over and over and showed me that he's patient and he's not going to leave me. There's a, a person in my life that I didn't mention, but who is really important, probably would not have even continued trusting or or even hoping that I could have you know a forever relationship with God. When my mom finally married for the last time, she, she married a man. I was about 17 and I was done with dads. There was no way I needed a dad and I was going to let them just kind of go on and have their own life. He seemed like a nice guy, but he wouldn't let me. I tried to resist having a relationship with Robert, but um, he wouldn't have it. He, he kept hugging me and telling me he loved me. And I thought he was crazy. I didn't know what he wanted from me. You know, I didn't trust it at all. I didn't want it. I didn't want to need it, but he persisted and he persisted. And eventually he wore me down and I, I was able to have a relationship with him. He just a, a wonderful, big hearted, loud guy, you know, who I eventually was able to call dad, you know, and, and really mean it. But it wasn't until years later, I think when my kids were maybe, you know, grade school, junior high age that I really realized that this dad, he had no idea what he had been doing, but just by being persistent with his love for me and his persistent faith in in God had given me a a picture of God that I was missing. The, The idea that there is such a thing as a father whose love will not fail you. And, uh, you know, I, I told him that later and he just like, Oh, embarrassed. He had no idea he was doing that, but, um, he really had a huge, a huge impact on, on that for me. It almost makes me feel like I need your mom's story now too. (laughs) (laughs) She has quite the story (laughs) because even just re, you know, reading between the lines of kind of what you've shared and sort of how your story intersects with hers. Mm -hmm. I, I hope women listening can also see how much hope comes from your mom's story. Yes. Yeah, she definitely had had to have a redemption story of her own. And, you know, she was a really trusting young woman and believed people who, you know, weren't what they appeared to be. And, you know, it wasn't until later in life, about the same time that I, you know, turned my life over to the Lord, that my mom was, you know, really struggling with having left that, that last stepdad. She was having a really hard time. And, you know, I said, hey, mom, I've been reading the Bible. Why don't I read this to you? And she was like, okay. And pretty soon we were reading it together. And then um, when this 
Robert showed up and started inviting her to his church. We went with him and her and I were baptized together. So we basically found our savior and our redemption at the same time. First of all, Jesus, of course, but then this guy, Robert showed up and he had no idea he was going to have, you know, such a lasting and eternal impact on this girl's life who tried really hard to stiff arm him from the first moment that I met him and he wouldn't have it. It's very encouraging and very refreshing to hear stories of men on earth who model bits of God's character. Mm-hmm. And they can, you know, and, and what I've said this before is he didn't model perfection. He was a hilarious um, redhead with a, a temper and he was more stubborn than any human I've ever met. He was a wonderful cook. He was a kind man, but um, you know, he wasn't perfect, but you know, I, I tell people what he modeled for me was far more important than perfection. He modeled persistence and the way he loved and the way he followed the Lord. And I needed that more than anything because we're all going to make mistakes as parents, you know, mothers and fathers and perfection isn't what kids need. It's, it's consistent love and consistent approval. And we started the episode talking about your connection with Hallmark and that you were connected with the Christian writing group. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you'd be able to share with the listeners that part, that chapter of your life, the writing chapter and what are you doing and where can they find your work and any projects on the horizon or things that, you know, why is this, why is it, why is it even, why does it matter? Why do we need Christian writing in the first place? (laughs) Good question. Yeah. I'm really feeling blessed to be part of a local Christian writing organization, Oregon Christian writers. And they're huge. If anyone is interested in writing, learning to write, you know, learning about the publishing industry, that's, and if you're local, That's a really great organization. And there are others that are nationwide also. But I got started writing a novel. It's kind of a long story. I won't probably tell all of it, but a friend kind of twisted my arm and said, You could write a book. And I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, sure. I could write a book. I I wrote as a as a kid and in junior high and such, and then um started writing a novel and found out really quick, oh nope, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm I'm a hundred pages into this thing, so I better take some classes and and read some books and study this and figure out how it's done. So my first book, I did a lot of learning on that one and then wrote a second one. And uh, it took about seven years after I actually began this journey of writing fiction before a book was actually published. And so I have uh, five full length novels published right now. Um, Some of them are contemporary and some are historical All of them have, most of them have like a romance thread. A lot of them are like a relational drama. All of them have a piece of something that is just between me and the Lord, you know, something that, that he's taught me. All of my characters probably have something like that in them, but kind of funny, this, this, this part of my life that figuring out how insecurity for so long coming to a place where I, I found real rest and peace in God's, you know, unshakable love, that, that need for acceptance. One of my books really does deal with that. Um, it's the memoir of Johnny Devine. There's a, a woman who is um, really trying to find her significance and trying to find if, if there is really such a thing as love that doesn't fail. But that's what I do. I write, I write fiction that kind of encourages faith and just has a little bit of, of a romance to it. And, um, I also blog on Along the Banks, 
Um, if anyone's interested, that's a place where I kind of share a little bit more about things that the Lord shows me and, and things that I hope are encouraging to other people. And then um, some of my books are or have been considered as possible film adaptations. So I'm in the middle of trying to um, decide if my next project should be sort of filmic in quality or if I should um, do another historical. So I'm kind of working on a few different ideas right now. So there is another book for me. I just haven't decided yet which direction I'm going with it yet. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me. <laughs> well, hopefully you get your own little group of hardies, but with maybe a new name for promoting whatever you've got oh, fun. <laughs> coming. <laughs> And as always, listeners, we will have links in the episode notes for all of Camille's writings and websites and blogs and things like that. That will be available for you to click on. So as we start wrapping up, one of the things I love asking speakers to do is to speak directly to the women listening who absolutely found themselves in her story, that they understand exactly what you're saying because they relate. And so for those women who are struggling with that insecurity or feeling like they've been trying over and over and over again in their own strength to be a certain way or sort of be that model Christian, or like you, like you said, had that, had that sort of other person, that little girl that just, they, they lock away. And if you could just sit down with those listeners for coffee, mm -hmm. what would you tell them? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say don't beat yourself up for starters. We tend to compare ourselves to people around us. It's really hard not to do. Some of us are just really prone to doing that. One of the, the things I had trouble with was really recognizing that there was a lot of inner hurt that really needed attention and care and healing. I would encourage you to give yourself permission to nurture the inner child. And, you know, I used to kind of think that was funny, but it, it really isn't because I really feel like I did lock up that little girl. You know, the Lord finally told me to, it was time to let her out and take care of her really and to parent her and to love her and to give her time to heal. And really, if I could just encourage you to, to recognize that God is not the one putting expectations on you. That's, that's probably not him, but what I can say from, you know, having spent a long time longer than I would have liked wandering in the wilderness, basically is that God has never once stopped loving you. He has never stopped waiting for you. He is patient and he loves you and he is not going to let you go. And he's not going to leave you and he wants fullness and wholeness for you. and he will, if you ask him, and if you ask him every day, day after day after day, he will be there day after day. So don't give up on him and don't give up on yourself. Even if it takes you as long as it took me, know that even if you are feeling like you're not acceptable, he accepts you and he loves you and he wants you to rest in his absolute love and approval. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's no striving you can do to please. He is already pleased with you. Um, you are beautiful and precious in his sight. I would encourage you to, to see that and treat yourself that way. The song Come Thou Fount is one of my favorites. And a, a lot of people can relate to the, the stanza that says, uh, 
Prone to wander. Yeah. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yes. And I think a lot of women know what that feels like. And actually, uh, ladies, for those of you who have listened a while, you know that every once in a while, we have an episode that includes a musical performance. And Camille doesn't know this yet, but I have asked one of our former story night speakers, Leslie, and you can hear her story on episodes 19 and 20. It's so, so incredible. It was a two-parter and she is going to sing Come Thou Fount so that you can really hear the lyrics. So ladies, I hope you take a moment to just let the words of this song soak in. And here's Leslie. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus on me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Leslie, your voice never ceases to amaze me. Thank you so much for sharing your musical abilities with us. And I I know it just means so much because you understand redemption and you have an incredible 
redemption story. So again, for those of you listening after this episode, go check out episodes 19 and 20 so you can hear Leslie's story. Thank you so much. Camille, we always close our episode with a prayer. And I wondered if you'd be willing to pray for the listeners. Sure. Father God, I thank you so much for the ladies that are listening to this podcast right now. I thank you for your spirit alive in each one of their hearts. I thank you that through your love and patience that you are continually drawing us to you and wooing us and inviting us to rest in your love. And I just ask that you would continue to draw um, these women to you. I pray that you would continue to help them to see who they really are in you, the way you see them. I pray that you would help anyone who struggles with any kind of negative self-talk or negative perception or anything. I just pray that you would um, help bring healing into their hearts and into their souls, Lord. And I pray that you would show them what it is that you see and give them patience for themselves, the kind of patience that you have. I pray for those who struggle with bitterness and resentment toward those who have, have hurt and wounded. God, you see those hurts and you see those wounds and you see that little girl. I just ask that you would wrap your arms around her and that you would love her and help her to find healing and strength in you. I ask that you would help them to, to have the courage to, to pray for that person who has hurt them and to give them and that hurt to you and to release it because I know you can. God, I thank you so much that you minister to each of us and sometimes through the stories that we each have. And I thank you for Jessica and a podcast like this where people can share their stories and uplift and minister to each other. And I thank you for churches that recognize the need to, to mentor and disciple baby Christians. And I pray that anybody who is um, new to the faith, that they would reach out and find people who will surround them and help them and hold them up and just encourage and cheer them on Lord, as they learn and grow in you. Thank you so much, God, for your patience, your love, your absolute righteousness that you have given to us and, and your, your amazing grace. Thank you and uh, praise your name in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Camille, thank you for sharing your story. You had sort of given it this, this title that your story is from crushing insecurity to resting in God's indestructible love. And again, I hope the lyrics from that song for all of our listeners really hit home in some way because his love really is indestructible. (laughs) And that is something you can completely rest in. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing the story. And ladies, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't watched When Calls the Heart yet, you need to start now. (laughs) After you go back and listen to, you know, episode 56 and 19 and 20 and everything else I talked about. You have a busy, a busy evening ahead of you. But again, we're so glad you're tuning into this podcast. Uh, We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're blessed. We hope you're encouraged by these stories and that you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. 
for more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com women.